Sometimes you feel so alone and overwhelmed, you don't know where to turn. These days, it seems like there is no end to our problems. We invite you to connect with Silent Unity, the 24-hour prayer ministry where someone is waiting to pray with you right now. Since 1890, Silent Unity has always been there. No judgment or dogma, just someone affirming the best for you. Call 816-969-2000 today. You can also connect online at unityprayervigil.org. Thanks for joining us. This is Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Welcome to the Yoga Hour, offering insights and practices for spiritually, consciously living today. Here's your host, Yogacharya, Ellen Grace O'Brien. Welcome to the Yoga Hour, where we talk about yoga in all its depth and breadth as a path to spiritually conscious, fulfilled living in today's world. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, co-host and producer of the show, and our topic today is experience the wholeness of life. And I'm here with poet, teacher, and storyteller, Mark Nepo. Mark Nepo has been called one of the finest spiritual guides of our time, also a consummate storyteller, and an eloquent spiritual teacher. His books have been translated into more than 20 languages a best-selling author, he has published more than 22 books and has recorded 15 audio projects. He's a regular columnist for Spirituality and Health magazine. Mark devotes his writing and teaching to the journey of inner transformation and the life of relationship. He continues to offer readings, lectures, and retreats. And Mark's most recent book, which we're going to talk about today, is <clears throat> The Book of Soul. You can learn more about Mark Nepo, his books and teaching schedule at his website, marknepo.com. I also wanted to mention that Mark will be giving a free reading and conversation titled Growing in Place, Strengthening Our Roots. And that free conversation is going to happen on August 29th from 1 to 3 p.m. Eastern. And you can sign up for that at live.marknepo.com. You can also follow him on Facebook and Twitter at Mark Nepo. So Mark Nepo, welcome to the Yoga Hour. It's really delightful to have you join me today. Oh, thank you so much. It's great to be with you. So before we dive into our dialogue about experiencing the wholeness of life, let's start with a moment of bringing ourselves present. <clears throat> oh. So let's just pause in whatever part of the day this is for you and bring your attention fully into the present, feeling your body in space, feeling whatever surfaces there are that support you. Perhaps you are sitting, you can feel your body supported by the chair, perhaps your feet are on the floor, or maybe you're walking, but just feeling the support of your body in space. And then bringing your attention to your breath. And just notice as you take a fully conscious breath, as you inhale and exhale, just feeling the natural rhythm of your breathing, 
not trying to change it, just noticing. Feeling the cool air in the nostrils on the inhale and the warm air flowing out. And as we rest right here, right now, here's something to contemplate taken from Yogacharya O'Brien's book of spiritual reflections, Living for the Sake of the Soul. On the journey of spiritual awakening, nothing is ever wasted. The painful consequences of our errors can break our heart open and allow the true self to shine the light of compassion into our life. Mistakes are like the bending branches of a beautiful tree, the way they keep turning toward the light, the seeming imperfection becomes its beauty. So once again, Mark Nepo, welcome to the Yoga Hour podcast. Yeah, your book, The Book of Soul, 52 Paths to Living What Matters, just came out in May. So What was your inspiration in writing this book? Well, with all my books, you know, I, they're really how I learn. So I see each book as an inquiry and, you know, it's not like, oh, I have this knowledge. Let me now write it down. No, it's quite the other way. I I write about what I don't know. (laughs) And then if I'm, if I'm present enough and honest enough and vulnerable enough, I, I'm rewarded with some kind of learning. And and so this book in particular um, wound up being really kind of an integration or synthesis of many learning points along the way, things that I learned in other books. And then they, you know, over time, oh, oh, that's what that was. About. Oh, oh, I see. Oh, and it connects with that. And so it was a, a real kind of weaving for me. And, and I think that... The, the central, there's always a metaphor that's a way in for me, that's a threshold. And for this, um, it is the metaphor in the beginning of the book um, that's really based on birth. You know, we're all here, as we all know, by the tremendous effort of our mothers who physically brought us in the world. And, you know, I remember, I'm 69, but I remember being in college and seeing a documentary on campus about childbirth. And... <laughs> I, I left with my mouth open and immediately called up my mother and said, thank you, thank you. <laughs> um, and then, but the metaphor is that once we're here, we enter a second labor, which is a lifetime of experience that births the soul on earth. And every person, no two people go through it the same way, but everyone has this difficult, blessed second labor i just i just love that that uh you know we're in this process in our in our lives of this prolonged labor of giving birth to our soul on earth so one of the things that i love about it is that it points to wholeness that we really talked about i mean it's this process of becoming more and more whole and 
kind of touching back on what the readings was talking about, the mistakes that we make, both the positive things that happen in our life, but also the things that we wish had gone better, but that there is a beauty in those and a, and a possibility of opening and transformation there. Yeah, and I think two two things come to mind and heart here, and you know, one is, and I love that image that that you shared from Ellen Grace um, about the branches bending to the light, um, and I think that you know we each have a language, our own language of wisdom, but I know for me, um, I don't, I've been learning it, an experience at a time, so I, I think that. That you know, each experience, once once we've lived it, offers us another word in our language of wisdom. And over time, we slowly, we you know, Emerson said, you know, we we apprehend truth as we live it, mm-hmm. as we live it. And I think that you know, there's a and this this journey to wholeness is also just it's it's inborn. It's it's so wonderful and. There's an, a paradox here that, you know, before just before we arrive, we arrive whole. You know, in fact, infants, infants when they're first here in the beginning, the first year or ten months, there is no because they've come from the womb and they've come from the oneness uh, of spirit. Uh, there is no distinction between. There's no subject and object. Everything's one. Everything they touch, everything they hold, and in fact. The paradox is to be here in the world, we have to start to d- differentiate in the surface world. So then by 10 months or a year, oh, this, this, oh, this is me. Oh, that's you. Now we have a sub, there's an object. There's, and now there's, quote, in the surface, a distinction. And, and you know, many in different traditions, we, we spend a lifetime, ironically, slowly moving back to erase that distinction between subject and object. So as we get to the other end of life, um, all the sages and saints, whoever you think they are, whoever you name, um, they are such because they are back with that oneness. There is no longer subject and object. You take, uh, you know, say Francis of Assisi in the Christian tradition. You know, love wasn't restricted to a person. He didn't need a reason, like to fall in love, to be in love. He loved the air the same way he loved a person. He loved the birds. He loved so that love was ever, that distinction was gone again. And I think, and then one of the lessons from the book for me is that great love and great suffering over time bring us back to that oneness. Mm-hmm. Indeed. And what's interesting to me is that that oneness, although we talk about kind of going back to it, it is indeed always there. So it's not as though we have to create, you know, something new. It's possible to experience that wholeness, you know, at various moments along the way. It's not something that's to me the paradox. You know, it's like it it definitely is a journey towards something, but also um, I think you even quoted this in the book, although I, I don't have it in front of me, of coming back to something, you know, uh, um, and seeing well, yes, it again. I agree completely that the, the miracle of life never goes anywhere. It's we and our humanness 
right. You know, just like a radio station, like we're on, the signal's always there, and we our reception may come in yeah. and out. And I think that this, you know, one of the things, and I, I don't know if I referred to it in this book, it might have been another book, but but it brings up the notion that, you know, that the word sacrifice, and there's so much tremendous sacrifice right now of from everyone, from healthcare providers, it's just remarkable. And that sacrifice of giving even sometimes, you know, almost up to our life and sometimes our life for the common good, that roots in a deeper soil of sacrifice. So the original definition of sacrifice means to give up what no longer works in order to stay close to what is sacred. And so what's sacred is always there. But by definition, because we grow, we change, we're dynamic, we're living, um, what worked today may not work tomorrow. And part of the spiritual journey is to help each other recognize what's no longer working and put it down mm-hmm. and replace it with something that will. And, and, and there's a wonderful little story about this profound actually and it's one of the stories of buddha and you know buddha was walking uh to from village to village as as he did and um and he came across a wide deep river that he had to cross and there was no ferry and there were no boats and it was a little too swift a current to swim and so he took a day and he made a makeshift raft out of branches and reeds and sure enough it held him and he crossed the river and then he put the raft on his back and he kept walking. And about an hour or two later, he realized he didn't smell any more water. And so it occurred to him, why am I carrying this raft on my back if there are no more rivers to cross? Mm-hmm. This is the beauty of the sanctity of the Buddha nature in, in, in all of us. He didn't just discard it. He stopped. And he spent the night and he built a fire and he burned the raft and thanked it and said, I would rather burn you in reverence than carry you on my back in resentment. Mm. I'd rather burn you in reverence than carry you on my back in resentment. And, you know, of course, the things that help us are dear, but when they no longer work, we have to, with reverence, put them down to find out what will keep us close to what is sacred. Mm-hmm. So I know, I mean, I haven't written a book myself, but I've talked to enough authors. I know there's quite a delay between the time you actually finish a book and the time that it's published. So your book came out in May, but I imagine it was written before this pandemic time that, oh, yes, that, we, yes. that we're currently in. So when you look at the book, now, you know, given this time that it's being released, what is your hope that the you know, that your new book would bring to people at this challenging time that we are in of this pandemic, social isolation, and economic uncertainty? Well, I I feel that you know I'm a student of all paths, and all my books try to offer and unfold the gifts of each path, and particularly inviting questions of how does that where can we apply it in our own lives? So my hope is that, and, and this is why the, the free reading I'm giving is called Growing in Place, that, you know, that this will ho- hopefully invite readers to 
better know their own gifts and wisdom and to deepen their roots and widen their trunk. And because the reason we need an inner practice, it's not just esoteric, it's not just abstract, it helps us live. And by inner practice, I don't mean that we have to have things figured out, but we have to be committed to joining the inner life with the outer life. Mm-hmm. And, and so you take redwoods that are out there where you are in California, magnificent, oh my God, trees. I remember being at Muir Woods and also down near Santa Cruz, a great uh, redwood park. And you, you know, these, these trees, some of them are a thousand years old. Mm-hmm. Now I imagine a, in, a, in a hurricane or a tornado, maybe a redwood could be uprooted, but probably 99% of the time, those trees are not gonna get uprooted. And they serve as teachers here because we need to deepen our roots and widen our trunk to endure the storms. Mm -hmm. And that's what I hope my book can offer. That's what I hope right now we need. You know, I hear people sometimes say, well, there's so much going on right now. That's all nice, but I don't have time for an inner life or spiritual discussions or no, I think it's exactly the time. Mm-hmm. Because things only remain abstract if we don't personalize them, mm-hmm. and so this is my hope. And you know, I, you know, in my books, I offer lots of questions, journal questions, dialogue questions, and this is all in a hope to to invite people to take that extra step to personalize these deep notions in order to discover our own wisdom and so that we we can endure these storms. Mm-hmm. That's, that's beautiful. I love that, you know, deepening our roots and widening our trunks. <laughs> that's, that's great. So your book is separated into 52 short chapters, each one only a few pages long, and then questions for reflection, it's, as you mentioned at the end. So it's it's actually... I have found it really lovely to spend some time with the book and read those reflections and, and questions. So um, in one of the chapters, chapter three, it's called Always Part of Something Larger. You write, we're always part of something larger than our condition. And the circumstance we're in, real and consuming as it may be, is not the condition of the whole. Faith in this distinction allows for healing because... As enough water will dilute poison, enough of life will dilute pain and fear and worry. So I wanted to bring this up at this time because I think this practice of feeling that we're always part of something larger, as you say in the title of this chapter, is so helpful to me to maintain perspective on things, that there's something much larger than whatever my little set of worries is. So how, in your experience, does, as you talk about it as letting in life, helping us dissipate our smallness, dissipating our smallness, feeling this part of something larger. How how does letting in life help us dissipate our smallness? Well, let me let me share two things that speak to that. You know, one is, as uh, you might know from my work, I'm a long-term cancer survivor from over 30 years. And during that time, I had a great instructive and painful uh, part of that journey that began to teach me about this. And I was 
about three weeks after I had a rib removed from my back and I was undergoing chemo and my first chemo treatment outside of New York City was botched and I got very sick and was very afraid and was in a Holiday Inn with loved ones, not knowing when to go to the hospital, the emergency room. And so kept thinking, well, I can't get sick again. It must pass. But it kept happening, kept happening. And and so there I was. And and just before we went to the emergency room, slumped on the floor of the Holiday Inn. And the sun started to come up. And I think not through any wisdom on my part, but because I was exhausted. I suddenly felt, well, this is all real for me. And yet somewhere nearby a baby's being born. Mm. I'm in pain, I'm terrified, I'm starting to cough up blood. But somewhere a couple's making love for the first time and somewhere estranged parents and children, adult children are talking for the first time. And so I was kind of glimpsed of this, this kind of spiritual law of nature that, which came out in me as the phrase to be broken is no reason to see all things as broken. And I think I've spent many years trying to understand how that works. And, and the truth is that when I'm afraid, I need the company of those who know what it's like to be afraid, but I need everything safe to heal. When I am broken, I need the company of those who know what it's like to be broken, but I need everything whole to heal. And so the mystery and majesty of the wholeness of life is always restorative. And let me tell this, the other thing is, so there's a great uh, anonymous ancient teaching story from India about this. It involves a master and an apprentice. There's always a master and an apprentice. <laughs> and the truth is, they off while we can learn from others, they always represent parts of us. But in this story, the master is very annoyed by his apprentice because he's always complaining, complain, complain, complain. So the master says to the apprentice, I want you to get a handful of salt, put it in a glass of water and bring it to me quietly. So the apprentice does it. The master says, okay, drink from the glass. He drinks. He spits it out. He says, what's the matter? Apprentice says, it's bitter. Master says, I want you to get the same exact handful of salt and follow me quietly. So the master apprentice gets the handful of salt cupped in his hands. He follows the master who leads him to a lake. And he says, put the salt in the lake. He puts the salt in the lake and the master says, drink. So the apprentice kneels down and he cups some water and drinks, it dribbles down his chin. The master says, so, and the apprentice says, oh, it's fresh. And the master looks at the apprentice. He says, stop being a glass, become a lake. Stop being a glass, become a lake. And I love these ancient anonymous teaching stories. And this tells us what we're in, what we're speaking of that you know, we may hear this and say, oh, well, well, I'll never be a glass again. Oh, we will, because we're human. And that's what happens when pain and fear say hello and anxiety. We tighten. We, get, we do become a glass. So we'll never eliminate that. But part of our practice is to enlarge our sense of things when we are in pain or fear or in anxiety. It will not eliminate the pain, but it will right-size it. 
If we stay small, we will not only feel, feel it, we will become bitter. So the question is, what is in your toolbox, anyone who's listening, that helps you enlarge your sense of things? Is it stillness? Is it meditation? Is it talking to a loved one? Is it listening to music? Is it journaling? Is it gardening? Is it listening to birds? What is in your toolbox that will help you enlarge your sense of things? Mm. Yeah, it's really lovely. I love that story. So another of the chapters uh, is called, chapter eight is called, As Many Times as Necessary. <laughs> and you point out, this is a quote, we all struggle with this tension between our obsession with making things new and the wisdom that comes from re-entering life as many times as necessary in order for it to reveal its secrets. So this was a, a, another one that struck me about the pandemic, because what I'm finding of the sort of restrictions on our lives is there's a lot of repetition <laughs> that happens for me on a daily basis. And it was interesting to think about this polarity, this, this tension between making things new and the wisdom that comes from reentering life, as you say, as, as many times as necessary in order for it to reveal its secret. So um, how, what would you comment about that, uh, knowing that we've only got about two minutes left? Well, let's, let's, this is worth uh, spending a little time. So let me, let me just start maybe, then we can come back to it. Then we can yeah. go in more, more depth on the other side of the break. Well, the, the, the first thing is that, uh, and, and, and we are obsessed in our culture with making things new. In fact, in the world of literature, you know, as a poet, you know, I grew up on, you know, Ezra Pound at the beginning of the, the 1900s was famous for saying, make it new. And I think he he sent a whole generation of writers and artists on a wild goose chase um, because the truth is the word original doesn't mean make it new. It means go back to the origins. Go back to the origin. So we'll pick up more when on the other side of the break ah that's a that's a great uh that's a great thing to to stop on and we'll start there as well you're listening to the yoga hour with our guest today spiritual teacher poet and best-selling author mark nepo we've been discussing mark's most recent book the book of soul 52 paths to living what matters you can find out more about mark nepo's books and teaching schedule at his website marknepo.com and in addition to the free reading and conversation that I mentioned earlier called Growing in Place, which will be on August 29th from 1 to 3 p.m. Eastern, Mark will also have a three-part webinar that will begin October 4th and run for three Sundays. You can sign up and find out more about these two events um, at live.marknepo.com. We welcome your comments and questions. You can contact us at yogahour@unity.fm. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, here with Mark Nepo, and stay with us. We'll be right back. We are spiritual beings having a human experience. Welcome to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. You're listening to The Yoga Hour, living the eternal way with your host, Yogacharya, Ellen Grace O'Brien. 
Welcome back from the break. <clears throat> I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo here today with Mark Nepo, and we're discussing Mark's most recent book, The Book of Soul. And Mark, right before the break, we were talking about the tension between newness, making things new, and the wisdom that comes from re-entering life as many times as necessary in order for it to reveal its secrets. So you had talked about original, the word original and where it came from. So tell us more. Yeah, so so the word original does not mean to make it new, to make something that's never been before. The word original means going back to the origins. And so, so what this says, at least in my experience, is we're so chasing to do what's never been done when being original is bringing all of who we are to what has always been done. You know, that... And this speaks to the heart of incarnation, that every person who's ever lived will go through birth, death, loss, love, being held, being dropped, being feeling incredible generosity, feeling betrayed. All these archetypal passages, everyone will have their chance to go through it how to meet adversity as we're being asked now. The, the adversity will change, but we will all have that. So bringing all of who we have to bear, holding nothing back is what makes it an original gesture. And so, you know, this is the way nature works. And we are, of course, the human in us, you know, we're human beings. The human is very finite, the being infinite. So we walk around like lightning in a bottle. And yes, the human is very impatient but we all inevitably kneel at, in, at the feet of the God of patience. We all must be patient. And so, you know, it's amazing in nature. This is astonishing. It takes six million pollen grains to seed one peony. Wow. So, yeah. And there are dozens of examples of how many times effort at life takes place before life happens. So why would it be any different for us? Why do we think, well, I've looked at this once? No, we have to say, you know, and I have a poem, I won't recite it, but I can tell you the essence of it. It's called The Second Peony. And it's about a woman who goes out for a walk where she lives and she sees a beautiful peony and she stops and takes it in. And the next day she walks further around her neighborhood and she sees another peony. But she says, well, I've already seen a peony. I, I want to see a flower I've never seen before. Yeah. And she doesn't. And and the poem ends with, but it was the second peony that held the secret for her. And the only thing that was repeating was her insistence on seeing something she'd never seen. So we are, and I think also of how, especially we see this with elders, but it's not just elders. We all, when we go through something deeply moving, whether it's wonderful or difficult or traumatic, we tell the story over and over. Now, sometimes we say when we, ha when we meet elders, oh, it's because they are forgetful. But more often than not, we tell a story more than once because there's too much to digest in one telling. And so we tell it as many times as necessary. Even And so be, loving another means listening to it five, six, seven times, even when you're impatient, because the lesson for you might be the seventh time you hear it. Mm -hmm. 
This is, you know, the great uh, Coleridge and the rhyme of the ancient mariner. This is, you know, he told that story of the ship going down over and over and over and over. So, you know, this speaks to we are being asked in this time. You know, the, the word Sabbath in the Jewish tradition literally means the one day we don't turn one thing into another. This pandemic has forced us into a global Sabbath. Stop. Stop running from here to there. Stop manipulating, changing, scheming, even dreaming. And just be where we are and receive life as many times as necessary until we are touched by it. So I think this speaks to the difference between ritual and habit. You know, a ritual is a moment where we do some gesture with so much presence that it reveals that wholeness we were talking about. It reveals the sanctity of life. We drink again from the sanctity of life. But being human, uh, you know, I can be racing through it and it uh, then it turns into a habit. And only when I return with full presence and heart does it become a ritual again. So one thing I invite our listeners to during this time, can you create very simple, a simple ritual, even if it's just one thing a day. And I can share, you know, for me, I and I've done this before the pandemic, but, you know, I start my day doing three things. Uh, the first thing I do is I open the blinds. I let light in. And when I can do that with that awareness, oh, that makes a difference in how I start my day. The second thing I do is we have a wonderful, uh, we don't have children, but I have a very spoiled yellow lab and, uh, and uh, Zuzu. And so I take care and tend to something living. I take care of her, I feed her, I rub her belly the first thing she gets up and start her day. And then, you know, I'm a, a morning person. My wife, Susan, who's a potter, is a night person, so I'm always up first. So the third thing I do is I always make coffee for her for when she gets up so that I do something for someone I love. So very simple things. I let light in. I tend to something living. I do something for someone I love. And that, when I can do it present, when it's a ritual and not a habit, then... That changes how I enter the whole day. So I invite people who are listening, just create one thing that you can return to with full presence, returning to the origins to open up your heart for the day. Well, thank you so much for that. That was really inspiring and uplifting. I was thinking as you were talking about this idea of sameness and difference, I was reflecting on that saying about you can never step in the same river twice, right? Yeah. It's never the same. And so it's it's the same action, like you're at the same place, there's a stream, you know, you walk through it, it may even look the same superficially, but it, the water is different and you are a different person as you step through it. And so it's a different experience. And that's the key to experiencing the wholeness that we've been talking about is to allow ourselves to feel that newness, to be fully present, because that's where that comes from. Yeah. So, you know, in the Hindu tradition, there is a a term, Upa Guru. 
which means the teacher that is next to you at this moment. And there's always a teacher next to us at this moment. So we don't have to worry if we miss it because there'll be another one as soon as we left our head. And that, and yes, yeah, so when we can give our presence, whatever it might be, it could be, it could be when you're hurrying in the city and you see the light on a piece of broken glass in an alley and it stops you. Why? Well, you have to stop to find out. You have to stop to find out. And so, you know, there's a there's a wonderful story, little story in the Talmud that there's a, a rabbi is who's taught his students and his students love him and revere him. And um, and they go to ask him a question. They see he's 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 stopped in real deep reflection on this one page. So they leave him alone. They don't interrupt. And they come back the next day. He's on the same page. And this happens a few days in a row and they're getting concerned. And one of the students you know, says, oh, you know, Rebbe, Rebbe, Rabbi, you know, Rebbe, um, is everything okay? We, you, you haven't turned the page in days. And the rabbi with this deep smile of bliss on his face says, if I have found an opening to eternity, why should I move on? Indeed. So, so even reading, it's not about, you know, we measure today, oh, if you're a speed reader, you're a good reader. No, I'm a very slow reader, not because I don't comprehend, but because I comprehend. I want to move, and this is something else we can practice during the pandemic, is moving at the pace of what is real. What, what do I mean by that? Well, for me, in a very practical way when and I can't do it all the time just like I can't be a lake all the time you know or I can't be present all the time but I try to but when I can have move have my heart mind and body slow to move at the same pace it's like something lines up and it's like the tumblers in a mystical lock, then, oh, I notice when I'm there, however briefly, that's when things start to be extra real. That's when moments start to glow. And, and so, and then all of a sudden, you know, I trip and my adrenaline goes and then now my, now I'm out of it. Sink. That's <laughs> right. okay. We blink how many times a day we have to sleep and then we wake. But I remember to try to move at the pace of what is real. Hmm. Mark, that sounds like yoga. <laughs> <laughs> yes. What did you say? You said uh, where your your body and your mind and your heart are all you know moving at the same at yes. the same speed. That's that's yoga. <laughs> <laughs> so um, another of the chapters that I was quite drawn to was one that's called the Fire of Aliveness. Mm. And you describe, in that chapter, you describe two fires that we have to encounter daily. The first is, this is a quote, the first is a fire of life, which reduces us to joy by burning away all that is false and not essential. This is the fire of aliveness that needs to be fed no matter where we are or what we do. This is the light of the soul that must be kept burning. The second is the fire in the world which can burn us up, 
which can wound us and damage us. This is the fire of circumstance that needs to be put out. So we've got these two fires. I just love the imagery, the fire of aliveness and then the fire of circumstance. So how do we tell the difference? Ah, how do we tell the difference? (laughs) I'm still trying to figure that out myself, but I believe it is a practice that we need each other for. So, you know, I need to be able to fuel what brings me alive, that fire at every turn. The word trust literally means to follow the heart. I need to follow the heart and speak my heart so I can keep, you know, the soul, just like like a fire needs wood and a fire, it doesn't matter to a fire what kind of wood you put on it. The soul needs care. And it doesn't matter what kind of care or what you care for. Care will feed the fire of aliveness. Just care about anything. Now in the world, there's the fire of circumstance. This is when, right, you have to be careful literally when you're lighting the stove. That your towel doesn't catch fire, or that you don't burn yourself. So they are all so out in the outer world. There is a fire of circumstance that need so, and the confusion of the two. I feel often leads to the to the many variations of the life of addiction. Mm. When we feed the wrong fire, mm. and it burns us up. And we need each other to discern the two. So more deeply, what this speaks to is the the twin call that every human being has to, we all have to survive and thrive. Everyone has to. Now, if, if you make a God out of survival, if you survive without thriving, what's the point? But if you thrive without paying attention that you live in the world, you won't thrive very long. You and I could have this conversation if you were here and we were walking crossing the road and if we were so engrossed in this deep conversation that we didn't pay attention, we get hit by a truck. So we live in, we are spirits in bodies in time on earth. And so we have to develop the twin skills, lifelong skills of surviving and thriving. So one of the things that I've learned is that to survive in the outer world, we do need to manage risk. But to survive in the inner, to thrive in the inner world, we have to enhance risk. So we have to learn how to be good at both. You know, I once... uh, Years ago, I stumbled on this distinction because I was invited to uh, lead a retreat for uh, a group of uh, executives uh, at a bank. And, um, and, and so we started to work together and uh, it wasn't, you know, they were very reticent. It wasn't going very well. And I said, let's, let's take a long coffee break. And we went into a different room and we all had coffee and donuts. And I went around because I realized, you know, other than my stereotypes, I don't know what bankers do or why they do it or why that's their call. And so we had a long coffee break and I, I, I went around and talked to as many people as I could. There were about 20 people in this group and, and said, you know what, tell me, what do you, why do you do what you do? What, what's, this is your thing. What is it? Why? 
And um, and 201, they didn't all use this language, but 201, other than, well, it's a job and I pay well, you know, when we got under it, 201, they said, well, you know, basically, whether you have a lot of money or a little money, our job is to manage risk for people so they don't lose their money, so they don't lose their home, so they don't, so they can pay for their kids' college. And this was a noble thing. And as soon as I understood that, I got it. And I said, okay, let's go back to the other room. And I said, <laughs> okay, your gift is you manage risk out here. But my gift is that I enhance risk. And that's why we're having trouble talking. Because we need each other. The truth is that I enhance risk doesn't threaten your gift of managing risk. And I need to learn from you how to manage risk, and you need to learn from me how to enhance risk. Mm -hmm. The right risk. Yes. The right risk at the right time yes. for, for, for the purpose of what, right? Right. Yeah, absolutely. So in that same chapter, you include a quote by Soren Kierkegaard that I, I really, really liked. So I'm going to read that quote. <clears throat> it goes, as my prayer became more attentive and inward, I had less and less to say. I finally became completely silent. This is how it is. To pray does not mean to listen to oneself speaking. Prayer involves becoming silent and being silent and waiting until God is heard. Yes. Which I just absolutely adore. And I was thinking about this pandemic time where often people who have children, their children may be around. Now it's a, not something you can send the kids off to school, at least not at the moment in many places. So how can we make that time for that, you know, silence, that prayer, that reflection, the practices that you were talking about? Well, I don't think we have to make the time. I think we simply have to, like I said, we're being forced to stop and not reflexively fill everything up, even when we're at home. And this is the difference between sheltering in place and growing in place. And it is true throughout all time that, you know, we being human, um, yeah, when we get in trouble or we're in pain or we're afraid, we then we want to pray and say, even you know, whoever is there or whatever force or whatever unity, you know, help me out, you know, get me out of this. And as as that quote really touches, I, that's why I included it, because I found that even in my cancer journey. And this brings us back to our conversation in the beginning about how wholeness is the restorative. It's not about what we ask. It's not about what we outline as the problem or what we try to see as the resolution. It's opening and being still enough to let the re mysterious resources of life enter us. And that's the restorative. So yes, prayer is listening and receiving, trusting and knowing that the universe knows more what we need than we do often. And so it's just it's just the same way that um, an inlet will let the ocean fill it, mm. come in, and 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 then even you know through irrigation feed the soil on either side of a river. Well, that's what that's what opening up the heart and listening does. It lets the ocean of being 
fill and irrigate us beyond our schemes and blueprints and imagined resolutions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love the way <clears throat> Yogacharya talks about prayer. She's always always points out when she's talking about prayer that when we pray, we're praying in God. We're praying in God that we are inherently there. We have that, that you know, ability, that access. And to me, that's another way of, of um, touching that wholeness and that deep silence and um, possibility of being refreshed, being refueled and refilled the wonderful image that you had of the inlet you know of the water coming in so another chapter um as i mentioned to you over the break we could have had so many different conversations because there's so much great stuff in the book but um, i really like the chapter it's called glide pull walk and carry Uh in this chapter you're using the image of paddling a canoe along a lake um, there's a sequence of lakes I'm thinking like up in, um, up in, uh, is it, um, uh, Minnesota, you know, there's yeah. these strings of lakes, you know, so you're on a lake and you're going along and it's beautiful. And then you come to the end of the lake and you have to stop and get out of the canoe and carry it, portage it, you know, to the next lake. And then, you know, you get in. So this glide, pull, walk and carry, um, is really beautiful, and you talk about that as an uh, as a way of looking at our spiritual journey. So, can you expand yes. on that a bit more? Yes, and and you know that original image comes from a, a First Nations um, uh, elder um, about how she literally grew up, and that's what they had to do. Uh, that was part of their life that she learned from her parents and in where they lived, and how just like a farmer would learn how to turn the soil over, they learned how to portage. How to how to glide, carry, and and glide again, and and it's a wonderful metaphor for our our practice. So, I would say that this opens us up to the fact that um, the relationship between effort and grace, mm-hmm. and that being human, we we'd like to glide forever, but that's not the way it works. We will glide until we suddenly uh, come upon the edge of the shore, wherever that is. And that doesn't mean it's the end of the water. We have Mm -hmm. to then, this is the opposite of the Buddha story of putting, burning the raft. This is when, no, there will be more waters to cross. Right. And more opportunities to glide. Yes. Yes, to pull and glide and Obviously, that water will run out, and then we'll have to portage. We'll have to portage again. So, in closing, coming to the end of the program, I can't believe how fast it's gone, Mark. Oh. It's just been delightful. Um, what words of of encouragement or inspiration would you like to leave with our listeners? Well, I would just like to leave um, with a small poem of mine because we do need each other, and even though we're sheltered in place, never underestimate. Uh, what are giving and we need kindness and care to move as quickly as disease we need give to move as quickly as take and so a very small poem of mine goes like this the mystery is that whoever shows up when we dare to give has exactly what we need hidden in their trouble beautiful and with that You've been listening to The Yoga Hour. 
It's been my pleasure to share this time with you. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, producer and co-host of the show, and I'm here with Mark Nepo, and we've been discussing Experience, the Wholeness of Life. Mark is the author of the book we've been discussing today, The Book of Soul, 52 Paths to Living What Matters. And once again, upcoming programs with Mark Nepo, you can find out more about on his website. Uh, also, a lot of, about his books on the website, and he also is on Facebook and Twitter at Mark Nepo. So thank you so much, Mark. It's absolutely a joy to have you on the program and to get a chance to uh, to speak with you and to discuss this lovely book. Oh, thank you very much. It's been a joy, too. I love it. Thank you. Mm. So join me next week when I will be talking with Ayurvedic master Cynthia Koppel about how to increase immunity and health with Ayurveda. The Yoga Hour is a service project of the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment, a meditation center in the Kriya Yoga tradition. CSE welcomes people from all backgrounds who are seeking self and God realization, a path to spiritually conscious, fulfilled living in today's world. There are many, many online programs through CSE. You can find out about them at the website csecenter.org. Right on the main page, there's a link to online programs, and there's daily meditations, group meditations at 6.30 in the morning, and then weekday meditations at 4 p.m. Thank you to the Yoga Hour team, founder, director, and host of the Yoga Hour, Yogacharya O'Brien, assistant producers Anne Hayes and Mickey Coronado. CSE's Global Media Outreach Manager, Holly Gray, and Jeff Comfort and Louis Pagan in the sound booth at unityonlineradio.org. I look forward to being with you again. Until then, remember, you carry your own healing and wholeness within you. Share your peace and joy with all that you meet. Have a wonderful day. Take care out there. Thanks for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Sometimes you feel so alone and overwhelmed, you don't know where to turn. These days, it seems like there is no end to our problems. We invite you to connect with Silent Unity, the 24-hour prayer ministry where someone is waiting to pray with you right now. Since 1890, Silent Unity has always been there. No judgment or dogma, just someone affirming the best for you. Call 816-969-2000 today. You can also connect online at unityprayervigil.org.